the name of Jesus. Uh, I'm glad to be back with you this morning, and uh, thank you so much. Well, you say amen now. Maybe wait till after the message to say amen. Uh, forgotten how to preach maybe in the past three weeks, but uh, it's been so good to be able to be uh, back this morning. But I just want to say thank you as a church family for all your support, your encouragement. I knew I was going to do this. <laughs> your prayers, your love that you've shown to me and my family during uh, this difficult time. What a privilege and honor to be part of Red House Baptist Church. And I just want to say thank you to the bottom of our hearts for all that you've done for us and the passing of my mom. And even though we've lost her, we know that she's gained something that wish, we wish we could have right now. She's gained heaven. And so I just want to say thank you for all you've done for us over the past uh, few weeks. And, but it is good to be back, and I think the sanctuary looks great. Um, it looks wonderful, decorations. And uh, last Sunday night... Went well, I heard. Uh, Joni actually FaceTimed me to show me what I was missing. I'd much rather been here than what I was doing, putting electrical plates around the house at my mom's. I'd much rather been here helping you decorate the church for Christmas. And I want to thank all those who were involved in making our church and our, our sanctuary uh, look uh, festive. And uh, it looks wonderful, and y'all did a great job. So, But this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start a series of messages called The Songs. Of Christmas. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Um, you've heard about my singing ability, or lack thereof. Uh, but what I'm going to look at over the next four weeks, there are four songs in Scripture throughout the Christmas story. And Christmas is a season of celebration. As we see on the stage, it's a season of hope, a season of joy, a season of peace, and a season of love. Now, I love Christmas music. I do have one pet peeve about Christmas music, though it can't be listened to until after Thanksgiving. So if you're one of those who listens to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, don't let me know about it. So, but when Friday came, I was free to listen to all the Christmas music I wanted. And so, uh, but Christmas music, it sets the tone for the season. It's one of my favorite parts of Christmas. It gives me anticipation. It gives me excitement. It gives me a lift. And this morning, we're going to look at Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple for two one-week periods during the year. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was a godly man. And Zechariah's name means Yahweh has remembered again. Now, that is significant as we go through this passage this morning in Luke chapter 1. You need to remember... That Zechariah's name means Yahweh has remembered again. And we are going to see in the scripture that we look at today that God did not forget Zechariah. And his wife's name was Elizabeth. She was the mother of John the Baptist. And her name means my God is the only one by whom I swear. My God is my fortune. Indicating a strong trust in God. And what I want us to realize as we go through this passage this morning, that just as God did not forget Zechariah and Elizabeth, God does not forget us either. And I want you to think about this. There has never been a moment in your life or my life where God has forgotten you or forgotten me. And this is an incredible thought that the creator of the universe has made you and me at the same time his number one priority. 
You and I and the other 7 billion people in the world are what is most important to God at any given moment. And to me, that is mind-blowing to think that each one of us at the same time is the most important thing to God. As parents, we sometimes have a hard enough time keeping up with our own children, much less trying to keep up with 7 billion people. I'll never forget the experience Joni and I had in California when Aaron was two and Luke was just three months old. It was right before Christmas. As a Christmas tradition, we usually try to go out to eat on Christmas Eve uh, before Christmas. So we went to the mall, we went to lunch at a restaurant, and we went to take Aaron to, to see Santa. We got up to leave the restaurant. I went to pay. Joni was tending to Luke. And we went to leave and we looked around and there was no Aaron to be found. It's amazing how two grown adults can lose a child. Well, we did it. Well, I should say Joni did it, but anyway. um, (laughs) But we panicked. Aaron was nowhere to be found. We looked around the restaurant. No Aaron. The restaurant led to the mall. The mall was packed. Yelling his name. No answer. We looked and looked and looked. And finally, we found him at the Christmas display where Santa was. And we were so relieved when we found him. In life, we shouldn't panic, we shouldn't worry, we shouldn't stress. Why? Because God has always and will always remember us. He always knows where we are and he always knows what we're doing. God never loses sight of us. And by looking at Zachariah's story this morning, I want to share with you several ways we can demonstrate that we believe that God has not forgotten Uh, So Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read the scripture verses as we go because there's uh, a variety of them. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 and read verses 5 through 7. This is what it says. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is if we believe God has not forgotten us, we will take him seriously. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they could have no children. Elizabeth could not conceive, and now she was up in years. And according to the culture she lived in, she was considered a disgrace. Something was wrong with her. And she was looked upon as someone who was being punished Because of sin in her life, because she could not have children. But this was not the case, as we see in verse 6, because Scripture says they live righteous and blameless lives. You see, in spite of their circumstances, in spite of what others saw, they were faithful to God. They cared about their relationship with God. They observed the laws of God. And they understood that God had not forgotten them. And as I said earlier, God does not forget us either. You see, our love for God and our trust in God should not be driven by our circumstances. Instead, our love for God and trust in God should be driven by the character of God. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul wrote to Timothy, if we are faithless, he, meaning God, remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's an incredible promise that regardless of how faithless we are towards God, God remains faithful to us. No matter what circumstances we face, no matter what we go through, we need to care about our relationship with God. We need to remain faithful to God because he always remains faithful 
to us. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they could have chosen to be angry with God. They could have chosen to doubt God. They could have chosen to blame God, but instead they chose to remain faithful to Him. In the passing of my mom, I could have chosen to be angry with God. I could have chose to have doubted God. But instead, I chose to turn to Him and to trust Him. And what we need to understand is we cannot let what is wrong with us or what is wrong in our lives keep us from worshiping what is right with Him. We cannot let what's wrong in our lives keep us from worshiping what is right with God because everything is right with God and nothing is wrong with Him. And God has shown us over and over again how much He cares for us, beginning with the birth of His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And at Christmas, we put a lot of effort into decorating, putting up the lights and putting up the trees and and finding that perfect gift for someone and preparing the Christmas bill and, and baking Christmas goodies. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a Christmas meal and Christmas goodies. That's also one of my favorite parts of Christmas. But what if we put as much time and effort into our relationship with God as we put into other things? How would our relationship with God be different if we took Him seriously? And I want you to consider this morning that the best way to celebrate Christmas is to demonstrate to God that you care about your relationship with Him more than anything else. The second thing I want to share with you, if you believe God has not forgotten you, You will serve him wholeheartedly. Look at verses 8 through 10 of Luke chapter 1. It says, When the division, meaning the priestly division that Zechariah was part of, was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, it happened he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. A little, a little too far. That's okay. We'll come back to that. Start, still stopped in verse 10. You see, offering of incense occurred twice a day. The offering of the incense occurred at sunrise and at dusk. And they were 18,000 priests in line for this duty to offer this incense. And Scripture says they were chosen by lots. And only once in a priest's life would a priest receive the opportunity And the privilege to offer incense in the holy place of the temple as part of preparation for the sacrificial offering. And this offering of incense, it was symbolic of the priest interceding on behalf of the people, as Scripture says, as the people were praying outside. What this shows me is that regardless of what was happening in Zechariah's life, he remained faithful in his service to the Lord. He did not let his circumstances keep him from serving God. And if you want to draw close to God, if you want to truly experience His presence in your life, then you need to serve Him wholeheartedly, regardless of what's happening in your life. You need to be all in. Do not use your circumstances as a reason for not serving God. Joni Erickson Todd, I'm sure many of you have heard of her. She became a quadriplegic at the age of 17 after diving headfirst into Chesapeake Bay. She began learning how to paint with her mouth. She began began to write books, and she became an author and an evangelist, and she found an organization called Joni and Friends to help accelerate Christian ministry among the disabled community. Today, she is 63 years old, and she continues to serve. 
the Lord. If anyone had an excuse to not serve the Lord, it was her. And instead of on quitting on God, she chose to serve God and be a witness for God. And this is the attitude that we need to choose. That nothing is going to keep us from serving Him. And instead of expecting God to do all these great things for us, we should desire to do things for Him and remain faithful to Him regardless of what is happening in our lives. Because it's not enough to be satisfied with our salvation. God wants to be satisfied with our service to Him. It's not enough to be satisfied with our salvation. God wants us to be satisfied with our service to Him. And Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brethren... I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul wrote this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We need to follow the example of Christ. Jesus said that he came to serve and not be served. That's the attitude we have need to have, that we need to serve others and not just be served by others. We need to follow the example of Christ. We need to walk in the way of love. We need to be willing to sacrifice for others, and our lives need to be a fragrant offering to God. I was cleaning out my mom's house this past or last week, and in her sunroom were two CRT TVs. Now, CRT today has a different meaning than it did when I was growing up. But I'm not talking about critical race theory. I'm talking about cathode ray tube TVs. And many of you remember those TVs. They're not liked. My mom owns a Buick Verona. You know, a Buick Verona is not a very big car. She had two cathode ray TVs in her sunroom. I loaded them in the Buick Verona. I took them to a recycling, electronic recycling place. They said, due to new government regulations, we can't take those. I was like, what am I going to do with them? They said, throw them on the side of the road. I was like, well, not going to do that. They said, go to Best Buy. They'll charge you a fee. They did, $29.99 to get rid of each one in case you're wondering. But I went to Best Buy, struggled to get them out of my car. There was a car parked on each side of me. I couldn't open the door very wide, and I was struggling. The gentleman came by and said, do you need help? I said, absolutely. I wasn't going to turn down help in that moment. So he stopped and he helped, and he helped me get those TVs out of the car. And he gave up his time to stand there and help me get those TVs out of my car so I could take them to be recycled in the proper way. I was coming back home on Tuesday, and I stopped at a gas station outside of Chattanooga. And I stopped to pump gas, and this young lady came up to me, and she said, uh, we need gas to get to Knoxville, my mom and I. She said, I don't want cash. I just was wondering if you could buy us some gas. And however much you can give us will help. You know what I thought about in that moment? I thought, how many times has God been gracious to me? And in these past few weeks, how many times have people been gracious to me? And the least I could do is fill her car with gas and help them get to Knoxville. And in that moment, that's exactly what I did. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the shoulder, but God gave me an opportunity to serve him by serving others, and I took advantage of that opportunity. And you never know when you may have the advantage or the opportunity to serve someone and see it as an opportunity of your life being a fragrant offering to God. 
as you serving someone and being the hands and the feet of Jesus. You see, after all God has done for us, we should desire to do things for Him and for others. We shouldn't be grudged doing things for God. We shouldn't be grudged doing things for others. We should see it as a privilege and opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we must realize that we were not delivered from our sin to sit, but we were delivered from our sin to serve. We were saved by Christ to serve Christ. And as you go through this Christmas season, I want you to just think about your life. And I want you to think about how well are you serving Him. And I want you to commit to serve Him with all of your heart, just like Zechariah did. The third thing I want to share with you is you believe God has not forgotten you. You will pray expectantly. Let's read verses 11 through 17. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many of you will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and make ready for the Lord a prepared people. You see, in the midst of Zechariah's worship, in the midst of fulfilling his priestly duties, an angel appears. He was startled. He was terrified. He was taken aback. This was unexpected. And as we know throughout the Christmas story, angels appear and people are terrified. But here it says the angel gave words of comfort. The angel brought good news. And what was that good news in verse 13? That his prayer had been heard. That God was going to bless him and his wife with a son. And he told him to name him John. And John means Yahweh has been gracious. After all these years of praying, God was going to be gracious to Zachariah and Elizabeth and bless them with a son, and not just any son, but a son who will be great in the sight of the Lord, verse 15 says, who will be filled with the Holy Spirit, who will turn the hearts of many Jews to the Lord, who will prepare the way of the Lord and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah Jesus as prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 3. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, listen to what Isaiah wrote. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That is a prophecy referring to the birth and the coming of John the Baptist, whose purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. And now God is making this prophecy come true in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I'm sure God's answer to Zechariah's prayer it came at a surprising time in a surprising way. He had no idea God was going to answer his prayer in the way in he, that he did. He and his wife had probably resided themselves to the fact that they would have no children. But God had a different plan. Not only did he give them a son, he gave them a special son who played a significant role in ushering in the kingdom of God and the new covenant of grace. 
And I believe the reason that God answered their prayer the way he did is because Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed expectantly and they were persistent in their prayers to God. To pray expectantly means to truly believe that God is ready, that God is willing and able to act and answer to our prayers. Psalm 5.3 says this, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. Expectantly. You see, when we come to the Lord and lay our crest before Him, we are to pray expectantly. We are expect God is ready, that God is willing, and that God is able to answer our prayers. And I think this is exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth did. They believed that God was willing and able to answer their prayers and to give them a child. And we must realize that God hears and answers every single one of our prayers. There's a prayer that you pray that God does not hear. There's not a prayer you pray that God does not answer. Now, his answer is not always going to be the answer that we want. He's always not going to answer our prayers in the way we want him to, but we have to understand that God is our Father. He knows what is best for us. As a dad... If my children came to me every moment and said, Dad, can you give me cotton candy? And every time they ask, I turned around and handed them cotton candy. What kind of dad would I be? Well, to the kid, I'd be a great dad. But to those around me, probably not such a good dad. You see, God knows what's best for us, and that's why he answers our prayers in the way that he wants to, in the timing that he wants to. And just because he does not answer our prayers the way we want him to and the time we want him to, it doesn't mean he does not hear. It doesn't mean he does not care. In fact, I would say if he doesn't answer our prayer the way we want him to, it shows that he does care because he is watching out for us. But here's the key to our prayers. Our prayers, our prayers must be grounded in faith and not doubt. Hebrews 4.16 The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, expecting God to do something, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When I think of expectant prayer, I think of the story in Acts chapter 12, where King Herod had put Peter in jail for preaching Christ, and and the church had gathered at the house of John the Mark's mother, and they were praying earnestly for his release, and And the angel comes and frees Peter from prison. And and Peter goes to the house where the people were staying and where they were praying. And he knocks on the door and a little servant girl named Rhoda, she runs to the door. She recognizes Peter's voice. And she doesn't open the door for some reason. But she goes back to the people that were praying and says, Peter is here. Peter is here. Peter keeps knocking. Finally, someone comes to the door, they open the door, and Scripture says they were astonished at what they saw. Now think about this. These people were praying earnestly for Peter's release from prison. God answered their prayer, and yet they couldn't believe that it actually happened. These people were praying, but they weren't praying expectantly. They didn't expect God to answer their prayer. But how often are we just like these praying Christians? We pray and pray and pray. 
And then when God answers our prayer, just like we prayed, we are astonished. You see, we shouldn't be astonished when God answers our prayer. We should be thankful. I came across this acronym for hope. We've heard a lot about hope this morning. Holding on, praying expectantly. Hope. Holding on, praying expectantly. One of my favorite Christmas movies, Don't Laugh, is a Christmas story. You laughed. I told you not to. It's a story about a little boy named Ralphie who wants a Red Rider BB gun. And he asked and asked and asked. And every time he asked, he was turned down. He even wrote a paper in school about why he wanted this gift, this Red Rider BB gun. His teacher came back and gave him a C+. His parents told him no. And at every turn, he was turned down and he was told the same thing. You will shoot your eye out. On Christmas morning, he opened his presents and no gun. He was disappointed. His dad was sitting on the couch and he said, Ralphie, what's that behind the tree over there? So Ralphie went and he got the present. He opened it up and guess what it was? It was his Red Rider BB gun. And he was so excited. Why was he excited? Because it was exactly what he asked for. You know what Ralphie did? He held on. He did not give up hope. He was expecting to get that gift and he did. Some of you this morning may need to keep holding on. Maybe you've been praying for years for healing. Maybe you've been praying for years for someone's salvation. Maybe you've been praying for years for a restored relationship. My advice to you and encouragement to you is don't quit, don't give up. Have hope, hold on, praying expectantly. And think about how Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed for many years for a child. And they never gave up. And God gave them a child, John the Baptist, that was prophesied in the Old Testament, preparing the way of the Messiah, Jesus. I want to encourage you to be a man and a woman of prayer like Zachariah and Elizabeth and make expectant prayer an important part of your life. The fourth thing is if we believe God has not forgotten us, we'll believe God's word unequivocally. Look at verses 18 to 23. It says, how can I know this? Remember the angel appeared promised Zechariah that his wife would have a child, and he says, uh, how can I know this? For I'm an old man, my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you'll become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary when he did not come out. Or when he did come out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. You see, to believe God's word unequivocally is to believe it without doubt. To believe it without question. And even though Zechariah was a great man of faith, and even though he was a great man of prayer, He had doubts about what Gabriel had promised him. He says, how can I know I'm going to have a son? I'm old. My wife is old. He wanted a sign. He wanted a confirmation. He was a little skeptical that it's his age and his wife's age that they could have a child. 
And before we rake Zachariah over the coals for his response, think about this. If you're in here and you're over the age of 35 and an angel appeared to your dad and said, your wife is going to have a child, think about that. What would your response be? I don't think we'd be any different than Zachariah. I think it is human and it is natural to doubt what was just about to happen. And I think we would have the same response as Zachariah. You can't be serious. You've got to be kidding. Prove it. And that's exactly what Zachariah said to Gabriel. Prove it. And Gabriel let Zachariah know that he was sent from God. And not only did Gabriel affirm God's promise, but he also rebuked him. He said, now listen. Meaning, what are you thinking? He's saying, I am the sign. What more do you need? And because of his skepticism, because of his lack of faith, he was unable to speak until the birth of his son. He had to be silent for nine months. Now, I know some of you wives in here are wishing maybe that your husband had to be silent for nine months, but that's between your wife and you. But he had to be silent for nine months. He couldn't speak a word because of his unbelief. And when he came out of the sanctuary, the only way he could communicate was through signs. And then it says he went home when he had finished his priestly duty. But oftentimes we're no different than Zechariah. We say we believe God's promises. We say we believe that what God says is true and he will do. We say we believe that God can do anything. So if we believe God's promises, if we believe God is faithful, if we believe God can do anything, why do we have doubts? Why do we struggle with his promises? I would say sometimes maybe we feel forgotten. Maybe you ask God, God, if you love me, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why did you allow me to go through this terrible circumstance? Or maybe sometimes we feel insignificant. We may ask, who am I, God? What do I have to offer you? Or maybe sometimes we feel condemned. How could God forgive me for doing such a terrible thing? I should know better. I let my family down. I let God down. And I know he won't forgive me. These are the type of thoughts that cause us to walk in guilt and condemnation. And in Romans 8, 1, it says that he was in, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. These thoughts about being forgotten, these thoughts about being insignificant, these thoughts about feeling condemned, these don't come from God. These come from Satan. And instead of focusing on ourselves and focusing on our circumstances, we need to focus on God and His Word and remember His promises. And we need to remember that God has not failed us yet. We need to remember that God will never fail us. He'll never leave us or abandon us or forsake us or forget us. And every promise He has made has been or will be fulfilled. In the Old Testament, He promised the Messiah and He fulfilled it in the New Testament. Isaiah 7, 14 says that Jesus would be born of a virgin, which he was. Isaiah 11, 1 says the Messiah will come from the stump of Jesse, the line of David, the tribe of Judah, which he did. Micah 5, 2 says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which he was. Isaiah 53 says he'll bring salvation to his people through sacrifice and suffering, which he did. And I want to challenge you to always believe that what God says is true. Never doubt, never question the Word of God. Next thing I want to share with you, if you believe God has not forgotten you, you will praise God continually. 
verses, starting in verses 24 to 25, and then turning over to 57. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and killed herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. And if you turn to verse 57, it says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to go give birth, and she had a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown her his great mercy. They rejoiced with her. They came to circumcise the child on the eighth day. They were going to name him Zechariah after his father, but his mother responded, No, he's going to be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives has that name. They motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. They were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue set free. He began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All heard about him, took it to heart, saying, What then shall this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was upon him. Elizabeth conceived just like God had promised. Their prayers had been answered. She gave God the credit. She recognized her conception was only of God's doing. And she said in verse 25, The Lord has done this for me. And God looked upon her with favor because of her faithfulness and devotion to him. And because of what God did, she was restored. She said, God has taken away my disgrace. And after the baby was born, there was this big celebration. And her friends and relatives, they rejoiced with her. They praised God for what had happened in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in Jewish culture, the baby was not named until after he was circumcised on the eighth day. And then it says in verses 59 through 61, When the day came to circumcise and name the baby, there was some family meddling going on, as I would call it. That's never good. Neighbors and relatives, they were wanting to name the baby for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They wanted to name the baby after the father. But Elizabeth said, his name will be John. They questioned her decision. They said, why John? They said, none of your relatives have that name. And they turned and asked Zechariah what the child should be named. He wrote on the tablet and said, his name will be John. And naming a child is a decision of great magnitude. In Scripture, names had significance as it revealed a person's character. John, Yahweh is gracious. John the Baptist was a sign that God had been gracious to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. And so they named the child what God had told them to name the child. And because of their obedience to God and naming the child what God told them to name the child, not being influenced by the crowd, Scripture says immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And you know what the first thing he did? He didn't say, well, how cute is my son? He didn't say, what a beautiful child. He didn't say, that's my boy. You know what the first thing he did, Scripture says? He praised God. When God does something in our lives, the first thing we should do is give God the praise that he deserves. When God does something great in our lives, the first thing we should do is to give God the praise he deserves. As we go through the Christmas season, yes, all the other things are fun. The decorating, the shopping, the spending time with friends and family, the the opening of gifts. There's nothing wrong with these things. They're wonderful parts of Christmas. They're fun and they're great. But first and foremost, we should take time to remember the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. 
And we should praise God for the true meaning of Christmas, which is the sending of His Son and our Savior. And by the way, it's not holiday season. It's Christmas season. Because without Christ, there is no Christmas. And I want you to think about ways that you can show praise to God during this Christmas season. Maybe it's simply when you check out of the store to say, Merry Christmas to the cashier. Maybe as you go through the month of December, maybe it's uh, doing an advent calendar with your family. Maybe on Christmas Day before you open your gifts or before the meal or maybe right after the meal, read and reflect on the Christmas story. But in our lives, we need to follow the example of Zechariah. He praised God because God had had not forgotten him. And we need to praise God because we know he has not forgotten us. Don't go through this Christmas season without reflecting on the goodness of God in your life. Think about how he has blessed you. What better way to celebrate Christmas than to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Last thing I want to say real quick, if we believe God has not forgotten us, we will proclaim God's truth zealously. Verses 67 to 79. Read this real quick. This is called Zachariah's Song of Praise. This is called the Benedictus, meaning blessed the Lord God of Israel, or praise the Lord. It says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, speaking of Jesus. And just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the churches of those or from the clutches of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from our enemies' clutches, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge and salvation through the forgiveness of their sin, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up, became spiritually strong. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You see, after the birth of his long-awaited son, Zechariah proclaimed God's truth zealously with excitement, with energy. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is evidenced in a song of praise and a song of, of thanksgiving. And he praised God for two things. He praised God for the coming of the Messiah. And he also praised God for the birth of his son, John. It's clear that Zechariah understood the purpose of the coming Messiah. He knew why Jesus was coming. He understood the plan of redemption that began with Abraham in Genesis 15 was about to be fulfilled. He knew that Jesus was going to be born to die so that we may live. He understood that salvation and rescue from the bondage of sin and from the enemy was before his very eyes. And he praises God for the deliverance of his people. He understood that God was faithful to his promises. He understood that his responsibility was not only to serve, but to serve in fear and reverent awe of God and with holiness and righteousness. And then he praised God for his son. He and Elizabeth and all who heard about their son, they knew something was special about John. How did they know that? And in verse 60, 
6, it says, All who heard took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah knew that his son was born for a purpose, to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus, to share the purpose of the Messiah, to share the message of salvation, to share the message of the forgiveness of sin, to share the message of hope, going from darkness to light, going from being an enemy of God to being at peace with God. And just like Zechariah realized John was born for a purpose, we also need to recognize that God created each one of us for a purpose. And it includes sharing the Lord with others. You see, we have a privilege. We have a responsibility to tell others the true purpose and the true meaning of Christmas. And the only way people are going to know about this Jesus, about this Messiah, is if we tell them. We can no longer assume that people have heard about Jesus. We can no longer assume that people know that the true reason for Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Christ. You know, the Christmas story is not just about a cute little baby in a manger. It's about the Son of God leaving heaven to come to this earth taking on the likeness of man to rescue us from our sin, to redeem us from the old way of life, to give us a new way of life, and to restore us into a right relationship with him. John 1, 1 and one fourteen says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John three sixteen through 21 Jesus said, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to restore us. And in light of what Jesus has done for us, why would we not share with others the greatest gift of all the greatest gift that we have ever received Jesus Christ and that gift of eternal life you know we're always looking for that special gift or that perfect gift for someone but there's no greater gift you can give or share with someone than the gift of Jesus the gift of peace the gift of joy the gift of hope the gift of light the gift of life and the gift of love And just like Jesus, we need to zealously proclaim what God has done for us. There was a family who was putting up the manger scene in their front yard. And as the family was putting up the manger scene, their seven-year-old yelled out, Daddy, guess what's missing? His dad looked at him and said, What's missing, son? Sadly, the boy replied, The baby Jesus. And then he went on to say, Daddy, if we can't find Jesus, there's no need for us to put up the manger at all. This little boy understood a theological truth, a very important one. If we cannot include Jesus in our Christmas, there's no reason to celebrate Christmas at all. 
And I want to encourage you to make sure you include Christ in your Christmas. And praise God for what he has done in your life the way Zechariah did. By taking God seriously. By serving him wholeheartedly. By praying to him expectantly. By believing his word unequivocally. And by praising him continually. And proclaiming his truth zealously. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to share with you there's no better time to do it than now. What better way to celebrate Christmas than having giving your life to Christ the reason for Christmas as your Savior and Lord. And if you have received Jesus, maybe you haven't taken your relationship with God as seriously as you should. Maybe you're not serving Him the way you should. Maybe you've given up on praying for something and you're no longer praying expectantly. Or maybe you've doubted or doubting some of God's promises. Or maybe you're not praising Him or proclaiming His truth to others the way that you should. As we have our time of commitment, as Bill comes and leads us and Sheila in our time of commitment, I want you to think about what does God want you to do in response to this message this morning. Because I promise you, every one of us fits in one of these six areas, including myself. And I probably fit in more than one of these six areas that I need to work on. So I want you to think about what do you need to work on to show God that you know that he has remembered you and has not forgotten you. And if you need to come to this altar and pray, we would love for you to come and pray. If you need to come and talk to me or pray with me, I'll be down here to do that as well. If you want to receive Jesus, we'd love to share with you how you can receive Christ. If God's leading you to become a member of Red House or leading you for baptism, whatever decision you need to make, we want you to make that this morning. But let's pray, and after we pray, then we'll sing and have our time of commitment. Father, we just come before you this morning, and we just thank you.